When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meatloaf. Mom. Meatloaf. Nothing personal word of the day. It's October 20th, 2023. Welcome to Nothing Personal with David Sampson and Matthew Koga. Meatloaf, not as in Will Ferrell, not as in Wedding Crashers, as in the actor from Fight Club. Yeah, look it up. Most famous song. Stay with me. Two out of three ain't bad. Two out of three, that's where we are. All the talk about let's extend the series. It's outrageous that the wild card is only three games. It's outrageous that you can win a division and be eliminated, not even having a home game. Guess what? We are now in the All-Texas American League Championship Series has come down to a best two out of three. Who's complaining now? Of course, you had to get to two games to two to get to this two out of three in a seven-game series. And I love when this happens, especially in the 2-3-2 format. The 2-3-2 format means you play the first two in one stadium, the middle three in the other, and then the last two in the first two. Which would you rather be? A lot of debate has happened in meetings with GMs giving their opinion. More than you would imagine would rather have the middle three. I always wanted the final two at home because I want to celebrate at home. I want to be in my own bed after a game five, get the off day at home, and then not have it as travel day. Because think about this, if you're on the road after game five, you travel after game five, then you get the off day in your own home as opposed to in a road city, and then you're in your bed for six and seven. The problem is what happens when you are a better road team than a home team? And the answer is that never happens. No team is better on the road, at least by a huge amount. The goal going into a season when you're trying to win is to be around 500 on the road and then around 600 to 700 winning percentage at home. And that is how you calculate when you're going through your best way to make the playoffs. The Houston Astros have been the opposite. The Astros are a below 500 team at home and they are a juggernaut on the road. 51 and 30 in the regular season. After two games in Houston of this championship series, all I got at David P. Sampson on X and on Instagram, everyone telling me it's over, you pick the Astros, Texas is going to the World Series, Bruce Bochy is the man, and he is the man. He's a big, big man. And all I kept saying is, I'm not changing my pick. Every producer from CBS is calling, are you changing your pick now? Are you changing your pick now? No. Astros in six was my pick on nothing personal. Astros in seven was my pick on CBS. I thought I'd always chosen Astros in seven, but that's beside the point. So 
Houston loses the first two games at home and they go on the road where they're more comfortable. And we told you that they could do an intra-series sweep, a mini sweep, which is a full sweep because Texas swept Houston in games one and two. That's a mini sweep. But if Houston wins tonight, they will have swept Texas three games, three, four, five, all in Texas and go back to Houston up three, two. Because yesterday in game four, the Houston Astros again beat the Texas Rangers. For Marlins fans, you may know the name Andrew Heaney, drafted under my watch, still in the big leagues, and he had the best start of his career last night when the Texas Rangers needed him most. Can you believe it? He couldn't get out of the first inning. When you plan your pitching and you plan to back a starting pitcher with another pitcher, going into the game, you're trying to get Andrew Heaney for three innings. You're trying to get Dane Dunning to back him up for three innings. And then you go to the back end of your bullpen for the last three innings. That is what is scripted. That is what the plan is. However, you decide in advance that should Andrew Heaney give up runs in the first inning, you are going to go right to Dunning because you don't want the game to get away because Texas needs that game to go up 3-1 versus losing that game and being right back where they started in a 2-2 series. Andrew Heaney, double, single, triple, single, first inning, 3 nothing, gone. Game over. Houston is going to win the game. They've got a 3 nothing lead. They've got Jose Urquidy on the mound, who's a real number 2-3 starter anywhere, but a 4-starter in Houston. All of a sudden, Garcia home run, Seager home run, bing, bang, boom, sacrifice fly by Josh Young, tied at 3. People at Globe Life going crazy. Urquidy could not hold the lead. Urquidy pulled from the game. That was not part of what Dusty Baker wanted to do. Urquidy could not make it out of the third inning. We have a brand new game tied at three. It reminded me of game seven of the National League Championship Series 20 years ago. After the Bartman game, we thought we'd beat the Cubs. That's when we tied the series at three. We were down 3-1, won a game to be down 3-2, won the Bartman game to be tied at three. And then we figured we've got this. Kerry Wood was on the mound against Mark Redman. Miss you, Mark. Enjoy your Martin Braun watch. And we had an early lead and then gave up the lead on a home run by the pitcher, Kerry Wood. And the feeling was, that's it. The Cubs are now going to win and go to the World Series. But then we came back and won the game and went to the World Series. The rest is history. But when you come back from down 3 nothing, the mentality is, all right, it's go time. We're back in the game. We got Houston's pitcher out. We survived the fact that our pitcher couldn't go an inning, and we're good. What happened after that was an absolute mauling by the Houston Astros. The much maligned Texas Rangers bullpen gave it up, and they gave it up, and they gave it up, and the final score was 10-3. Seven unanswered runs by Houston, and we have a brand new series. What does it all mean? It means that the Astros and Jose Abreu and Jordan Alvarez and their one-two punch, the most successful duo really in playoff history right now, they each have more than four home runs and more than 10 RBI in a postseason. I think they're the first set of teammates to do that in the first eight games. Or There's some crazy stat about how good they are. You have Altuve who woke up. The only one asleep on the entire team is Kyle Tucker, who may be the best bat, or at least in the top three on that team. 
and it just shows you the depth of what the Astros have, and they get to go back to Verlander tonight. Of course, Texas gets to go back to Montgomery, and what we have now is a two out of three where it's going to be identical to the first three games of the series. Montgomery against Verlander, followed by Evaldi against Valdez, and then a game seven, if necessary, of Javier versus Scherzer. It's just a repeat of one, two, and three. And one, two, and three was Texas, Texas, Houston. So if it goes like that again, Texas, Texas, then there's no Houston. Texas will win the series in six games. Except there's no way it'll go that way again. What I have been thinking about overnight is how Houston is so good in Globe Life. And they asked post-game for suggestions. What would explain the dominance that you have at Globe Life? What would explain the dominance that you have on the road? And the interesting thing about road dominance is what we do is we look for patterns. We look for what's in the spread, what hotel we've stayed at, what are we doing with our schedule that's different? Is there anything? And baseball is so routined that you don't do anything different in any city. So when people tell you, yeah, there's something special that goes on, you had some Houston players telling you, we really like the visiting clubhouse. It's such horse hockey. Whether you have a nice visiting clubhouse or the old Chicago Cubs Wrigley visiting clubhouse, which is a shoebox, or whether you're playing at the Boston Garden in the NBA with no air conditioning, whether the showers are individual stalls or group showers with ropes, none of that actually impacts the play on the field. The commute to the ballpark doesn't matter. The comfort of the hotel bed doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the quality of the team and the players. And there are things in the world of sports that are inexplicable. So don't try to explain it. Don't ask a player for an interview. The only thing that I liked is Chaz McCormick when asked about this crazy stat where the Astros keep winning at Globe Life, he just said, we play so well here that the mentality is that it was 0-0 when we weren't down 2-0. I like that, except that's the same mentality you have if they'd gone on the road to Timbuktu or they'd gone on the road to Yankee Stadium whenever you're down 2 nothing. What do you think the Diamondbacks mentality was when they were going home down two nothing to the Phillies? Everyone assumed that series was over. The mentality was, hey, all they did was hold serve. Now it's our turn. We'll hold serve, go back to Philly with two games to win one because we're gonna have a three two lead. There's not one person in Vegas. There's not one person who's betting. There's not one person who knows anything about baseball inside or outside the game who believes that the Philadelphia Phillies will not win this series. Of course, yesterday's game was a walk-off by the Diamondbacks, was a pitching performance the likes of which you don't see too often. From pitchers who no one's ever heard of, and I wanna know why. Ranger Suarez, in his first eight postseason starts, has an ERA below one. You know who else has done that? Sandy Koufax. We're talking about Hall of Fame type postseason performance by a number three starter who goes on the heels of Coaces, Zach Wheeler, and Aaron Nola. That sort of starting pitching depth is enough to make anyone believe that they can win every game no matter what.
The Phillies starters this postseason have an ERA just over one. They have an opportunity to have a situation where they score more runs in home runs than they give up in total runs. That's how good the offense is. That's how good the pitching is for the Phillies. So Ranger Suarez takes the mound and is dialing yesterday. The problem is he was going up a guy named Brandon Fott, who you've never heard of, and I don't blame you. He's a starter who's been starting as a rookie, got a few starts for the Diamondbacks. You may not realize that he has a running fastball, that he has a breaking ball. They now call it a swifter, a slayer, a sweeper. I'm loving all the new names of the pitches. Here's what it is for old school baseball people. He switches planes, he switches speeds. And when you do it with pinpoint precision and not walk anyone, guess what happens? No one scores runs off you. You remember learning that offense only scores on mistakes by pitchers. And when you don't make mistakes, fought, struck out nine people, walked zero. Do you know how many rookie pitchers have struck out nine and walked zero in a postseason game? Guess. Dose. He became the second pitcher all time to ever do that. There have been a lot of good rookie pitchers. He was unhittable yesterday. So the Phillies weren't getting hits. The Diamondbacks weren't getting hits. And what do you know? 2023 baseball got in the way. Analytics said, pull him. Here comes Tori Lovello. Booze rained down from the fans, the Diamondbacks fans in Arizona, all the Diamondback fans. They're booing. Out he goes, bringing another rookie that has two A's in his name. His name is Vander Vaken Frank. I can't remember his exact name. I'm totally blanking Coke on the guy who replaced Fott. Bar, bla- bar stot blank. In any case, gets out of a jam. No runs on the board. And the game ends on a walk-off. Sal Frank, thank you. That's two double A names back-to-back. Has anyone thought about that? Has there ever been back-to-back pitchers in a postseason league championship series game with double A in their name? All right, Internet Sluice, get on that. I don't know how you'd search that, but I would find that to be hard to believe. Though, every time I say something hasn't happened in baseball, it's happened. But I will venture to say that going from one double A to a second double A is not going to work. In any case, guess what the Diamondbacks did? They walked off the Phillies because the Phillies hit no home runs, only second time this postseason. The Phillies got three hits, great pitching, no hitting. Arizona had great pitching, just enough hitting. It's a 2-1 series, much like the Astros-Rangers was 2-1, except the Diamondbacks-Phillies is actually like a real series. No road team has won a game. In the Astros series, no home team has won a game. And you'd certainly more expect what's going on with Phillies-Diamondbacks. Yet Vegas has the overwhelming odds of the Phillies closing out this series in five games. But their one bullpen win a game, one bullpen one game tonight from being exactly where the Astros are, tied at two. What I loved about the postgame is Marte, who got the walk-off hit, when asked about, hey, how does it feel to win the game? He said, that's the player I am. I'm not surprised. 
I like that confidence. Don't get me. I, you're you're going to think I was going to criticize that. I want that. I want every player to think that they're going to get the walk-off hit that particular day and that they're worthy of getting it. Then Lavello was asked about pulling Fott out of the game, calling it a controversial decision, knowing that he was getting booed. And then he said the quiet part out loud. So if you didn't watch this, here you go. We told Tim going in what our plan was, and our plan was our plan. 18 batters. That is what he would face. Depending on game, score, and situation, it could be as few as 14. Maybe up to 22, give or take four, plus or minus four. But that's it. Here's why I want to talk about it. He said in the post-game press conference, it's not analytics. That's exactly analytics. There is no way that my World Series winning manager, Jack McKeon, would have pulled out Fott in that game under any scenario. Anyone using their eyes knows that what Fott was doing to the Phillies lineup, no one had done to the Phillies lineup this postseason, and it was stellar, staggering. Don't take the chance that you're going to get four bullpen arms to be as hot as your starter. It's hard to get every bullpen arm to be on the same night. That's the problem with going pitcher to pitcher to pitcher for the for the defensive team. While they've got great velo, you don't know if they're going to have command. You don't know if they're going to hang one. Thought was that good. I was so frustrated yesterday because part of me just said, the game's passed me by. I would have lost my mind. Then something happened. That really made me lose my mind. Can we talk about a double play? Coca, I didn't tell you I was going to talk about this. I'm sorry, but I have to. There was a play in the Astros-Rangers game. Marcus Simeon, they're down in the game. 8-3, 9-3, 10-3, whatever they are. Marcus Simeon gets on base. There is a bullet to Jose Abreu at first base. Simeon's off the bag. Abreu stabs it, catches the ball, sees Simeon off the bag. I should have asked for video for this, Coke. I'm sorry. And then rushes to first base, and Simeon is safely back at first. But the Astros challenge the call because go find this, and I'm sorry if you're watching this on YouTube that I'm not showing this to you, although I may not be allowed to. But if you're listening to this, Google Simeon Abreu double play. And what you will find is that Marcus Simeon was tagged out by Jose Abreu because Marcus Simeon had a batting glove that was hanging out of his back pocket. And upon sliding back to first base so as not to be doubled off, he dove head first. The batting glove was in his left cheek pocket. As he's diving back, Abreu is diving to try to tag him, misses him, but the glove touches the pointer, flailing, fingerless pointer of the batting glove. And anything on your uniform is an extension of your uniform. Tagging the batting glove, the ghost finger of the batting glove is enough. Marcus Simeon, O-U-T. You may think that that's insane. And I may tell you, never saw it before. But I can also tell you, I've talked about it before. We had rules with our players' uniforms. 
and our players always thought that we were unreasonable. You don't want us to have beards and you want us to make sure we don't wear too much jewelry and that we button up our shirts, only one button showing. Yeah, I don't want to see your puppet. There's no reason to have three buttons down off your uniform. But one of the other rules we had is tuck your pants pocket in. There are players who like to take their back pocket with nothing in it, and they like to have it flail behind them. Then there are players who take their batting gloves. They take them off when they get to first base, and they shove them in their pocket of their uniform. I was of the opinion with our clubby and with people within Major League Baseball, I didn't want any pockets on uniforms, and I wanted all uniforms to be tight. The advantage of a loose uniform is when you're at the plate and you can get hit by pitch when you actually don't get hurt and it just touches the sleeve or touches if you have a, a, a uniform that's loose on you. If the ball hits your uniform and you're at the plate, it's an HPP, you take first base. Love it. But I was more concerned with the tag plays. If you're wearing a loose uniform or you have stuff flailing around and that gets tagged, you're out. So frustrating to watch Simeon get tagged out and get doubled off because of his batting glove. And the players will, will laugh because they'll remember talking about this. And we all thought, oh, that's never going to happen. And it's true. Over a career, it never happened until last night. Go look at the video. It will knock your socks off. I don't know why that just came into my mind, but it did. All right, we've got to get to the University of Michigan, but let's take a break first. We're going to review a movie that you likely haven't seen, but you've heard of because it got so much attention and it involves Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, not their acting, thank God, just their stuff. And then we're going to talk about the latest scandal that is embroiling Harbaugh at Michigan. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. It is Friday. Thanks for spending the week with us. It has been a busy week. Late nights at CBS, mornings at Nothing Personal, late mornings with Lebitard. Thank you for all the time that you give us for rating, reviewing, subscribing, going on to our website. We got a recent uh, traffic report. Thank you for all the people engaged with our website. Buying the merch from davidsampsonpodcast.com. We are, what is it, 12 days away? Do we come up with a date, Coca, where the next specialty item is going to be released and some winter items are going to be released because it's getting cold? So look for that. But in the meantime, with the crazy schedule and the lack of sleep, there's still something that I get to do, and that is watch a movie. I watched a documentary on Max. I've been really enjoying the content on Max recently. And it's called Ringleader, The Case of the Bling Ring. Now, you may know the story of the Bling Ring because it's a true story. And it was a movie called The Bling Ring done by Sofia Coppola, directed it, lost in translation. And The Bling Ring is a real story of a bunch of kids 
in California who kept robbing celebrities' homes. Orlando Bloom, Lindsay Lohan, Rachel Bilson, Paris Hilton. And they would break in and they would go shopping in the closets of these people. And in theory, the ringleader was someone named Rachel Lee. And this is a documentary she had never spoken before. And she sits down all these years later and tells the story of the bling ring, what the background was, how she got into the game of robbery, what it's done to her life to be convicted. She's guilty. She did it, doesn't deny she did it. And the bling ring, the documentary is worth watching. But what I want to mention for a couple minutes is the concept of desire and jealousy and gluttony in this era of internet where you can look up however ridiculously wrong whatever it is you look up about people and what they're worth or what they have or what they own, none of it is accurate. That said, the feeling that everybody is having young people especially, when they look at people their own age who have become influencers, they've got millions and millions of followers and they're purportedly making millions and millions of dollars. When you see, not just on page six of the New York Post or not just in This Week in Pictures and People Magazine, but it's so pervasive everywhere because everyone now has a People Magazine because it's their own Instagram, it's their own camera. Paparazzi used to be a thing. Now there's barely any more paparazzi because the stars can control what the public sees of them. And what they see is what they want, which is people who want to be them. Because the thought is, if you want to be somebody else, you're going to buy their perfume. You're going to buy their cosmetics. You're going to buy their clothing brand because it will make you feel closer to that whom you will never be. Superstars like that are sort of like the Republican Party in a funny way, where they want everyone to support them who wants to be them but knows they never will be them. And I'm not saying anything negative about the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I'm just saying that's interesting to think about the number of Republicans who have no money, who look at someone like a Trump or say, hey, that's a life that, man, that'd be good to have, and they'll never have. It's so terrible to live your life wanting what you don't have. It's so much better to love having what you want. And it's so much better to want what you have. Being satisfied, not in your business world, but in your material world. And if you want more things, work harder, get more money, and then see if you want them. And as it turns out, you may find that having more money makes you less happy than having less money. But the irony of it all is that the bling ring was just about a bunch of kids who wanted to have Paris Hilton's purses. And this documentary goes through the mental state of these kids. And it's a great cause of conversation with your own families and with yourself. When do you draw the line for being doing what's right versus what's wrong? In the name of competition. You all hate the Astros for banging garbage cans, don't you? You all got upset when Bill Belichick was filming practices or Deflategate when they were arranging what the ball was going to be like to the benefit of Tom Brady. Cheat to compete, a concept that we all think about. Your moral compass, 
University of Michigan has had nothing but problems. Harbaugh, they self-imposed the three-game suspension before the season started. Ridiculous. Under constant scrutiny, the NCAA can't stand him. They're looking for any way they can to do something to sully the Michigan program, especially Harbaugh. And yesterday was a brand new one. I must admit, I had never heard of this. And I, I can't believe I'd never heard of it because it's been going on forever. But did you know that you're not allowed to do in-person scouting? I was not aware of that fact. And that's been true forever. There's an NCA rule that any attempt to record either through audio or video, any signals by an opposing player, coach, or other team is prohibited. There's also a rule that talks about what you can do in person. And the reason why they did that is the thought was that it would gave a disadvantage to teams with means versus teams without. Michigan is being accused by the NCAA of in-person scouting their opponents, stealing their signs. But the crazy part is that stealing signs is acceptable. There's just a way you have to do it. It's really like baseball. You're allowed to steal the signs from the catcher if you can, but you're supposed to do it the old-fashioned way by trying to figure it out. Not using any extra video, any extra cameras, any secret cameras, any secret recording in the visiting clubhouse. You're not allowed to do any of that. You can't use your visiting clubby as a spy. Hey, go get the signs and let us know what the signs are. You don't do it. No one does that. But what Michigan is being accused of is that they did sign stealing. <laughs> it's, it can't be, right? They notified Michigan's opponents, including Michigan State, that you better change your signs and your signals because the odds are Michigan has stolen them. Think about this for one second. Imagine getting a call from the commissioner of baseball right before a game, and they say, hey, we have upon information and belief that the Astros know all of your signs, and you may want to change them before you play. That conversation is mind-boggling to me. So what happens? The NCAA investigates. Michigan will not do any self-disciplining in this case. As a matter of fact, Jim Harbaugh released a statement. And his statement, as you would imagine, is, who, me? Quote, I don't have any knowledge or information regarding the University of Michigan football program illegally stealing signs. Nor have I directed any staff member or others to participate in an off-campus scouting assignment. Of course, that's what he's going to say. That's what every head of a company says. Hey, if I've got rogue employees... That's like the GM of the Astros or the Cardinals. Hey, don't blame me for somebody switching teams and stealing computer equipment and stealing files. What did I know? I didn't ask him to do it. Do you know that there is zero chance that Jim Harbaugh, the coach, was not aware if they're sending people to scout? Because what do you think the people who were sent to scout are doing? They're doing reports and the reports are given to Jim Harbaugh and his coaching staff. Do you think the person that's sent to scout is just doing it because he likes scouting and that he just pays, he watches the game and then goes home and does nothing? The whole purpose of a scout is to write a report and electronically file. It used to be, you won't even believe this, 
baseball scouts would scout games, then go to a payphone and call in to give the report on the game. Someone would type it and then distribute it to the on-field staff at the big league level. Now, of course, you just put everything electronically and press send and everyone has it right after the game. It is impossible that Jim Harbaugh did not know if there were people scouting his future opponents. That would be the same as having an advanced scout in the playoffs, watch the team that you could be playing and then say, hey, you want to know what's going on? I'm not going to tell you. You think the manager isn't aware and the general manager isn't aware of exactly who's doing the advanced scouting? We talk about it every pregame. It's absurd. Jim Harbaugh needed to workshop that statement just a little bit more. The NCAA found someone already. It's been a day and they are focusing on this elaborate scheme. There's a guy, they named him already. He's a football analyst with Michigan, actually a retired captain in the Marine Corps. Thank you for your service. And the possibility of this guy doing it is so significant that the NCAA already has taken his computer. On his computer, you are going to find scouting reports. When you do find scouting reports, those scouting reports are being seen by Jim Harbaugh. The problem Michigan has is that they came out too strong because it's so easy to track. So there will be an investigation by the NCAA and there will be a punishment. What will the punishment be? Taking away wins? Nope. The punishment's going to be a fine. As a matter of fact, Coca, I'm going to give you a wait to see on that. Michigan State will be fined as a result of having illegal scouting, in-person scouting. Why does Michigan think that they are so above the law? They're a little like the Patriots in that regard, aren't they? Where they just feel like they can get away with anything. They're a little bit like the Astros, except the Astros are a little bit like every other team. Do you think that the University of Michigan is the only team that is sending people in person to scout? For one second, just think about that concept. Of course not. They're just the only team to get caught. Does NCAA have an, a, what's the word, Coca? It's Friday, 11 minutes left. The NCAA has a blank for Michigan. I know what I could say if I were in ninth grade and it would make me smile, but it's not that. The NCAA has it out for Michigan, but that's not the word either. By the way, you all came up with stalking horse, which was exactly right, was what I was thinking of the other day regarding Scherzer. But I love when you get to me at David P. Sampson, get into my DMs and you tell me what I was thinking, because this happens in my brain when there's no prompter and it's Friday or Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday. What's the word, Coca? Vendetta. Yes. Michigan will be fined. That is my official way to see, not Michigan State. Michigan will be fined. And the NCAA has a vendetta against Michigan and Harbaugh. Thank you, Coca. No need for the DMs now other than just saying hello and wishing me a happy weekend. I ordered pre-order dinner tonight, by the way, Coca. At CBS, they give us dinner when we're doing analysis. You'll never guess what I'm having tonight. Some of you who are paying attention to 
nothing personal and to Lebetard, my guess. I'm having cheesesteak, baby. Love it. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are so hot right now. We're above 500. We're 151 and 150. We had the Astros over the Rangers win. Did you bet the Jaguars plus one? I hope you did because that was a win. We had the Phillies over the Diamondbacks. So we're 151 and 150 after a two and one night. Let me give you the picks for this weekend. Tonight, an amazing game five. If you are around, please watch the Astros and Rangers. Is that the afternoon game or is that the night game? Coca, let me check right now. I actually have it right here in my calendar. Houston, Texas is the afternoon game. It's a 5.07 start. A critical game five, obviously in a 2-2 series. You'll read stats. The team that wins game five in a seven-game series that's tied at two goes on to win 69% of the time. There's stats like that for after every game. The team that wins game three with a 2-0 lead goes on to win 99.7% of the time. The team that wins game four to take a 3-1 lead wins 76.2% of the time. Anyway, Verlander, Montgomery. Game one, do you remember what happened? 2-0. Verlander gave up two runs. The Houston offense was shut down by Jordan Montgomery. The Houston offense. The Texas Rangers offense basically shut down by Verlander. NGTH. It will not be a 2-0 game. The Astros are going to sweep the Texas Rangers in Arlington and go home to Houston up three games to two. Verlander will beat Montgomery. The Astros will beat the Rangers. The night game tonight is Phillies and Diamondbacks. It's a bullpen game for the Diamondbacks. Think about how amazing it is to be an Astros fan when you get Javier in game three and then Urquidy in game four, forgetting the fact that Urquidy couldn't get out of the third inning. He's still an amazing four-starter in a playoff round. The Diamondbacks have no four-starter. They're going with a bullpen game. They're starting Joe Mantiply. He's the lefty. He's, he's good. But an inning? It's going like, to be like a spring training game. And such an important game. You don't want to go down 3-1. The Phillies have a real four-starter, Christopher Sanchez. He started like 18 games this year. He's exactly what you would expect a four-starter in a playoff series to be. If they can get four innings out of him, they will be in heaven. Don't forget they had to use Alvarado and Kimberly in yesterday's game heavily, but they'll use them again tonight. We're taking the Phillies. Phillies over the D-backs, Astros over the Rangers. Those are my picks for Friday. Sunday, we'll be watching both baseball and football. And the Sunday night game is going to conflict with an amazing playoff game. And if you have two screens, which many of us do, like a device or something, make sure you watch both. Eagles-Dolphins. The Eagles are favored by under a field goal over the Dolphins. The Dolphins' offense is historic. For those of us living in Miami, for you living in Miami, my former home, I couldn't be happier that the Dolphins are good. And it's not just that they're good, they're great. Tua is the leading candidate to be MVP. Arguably, the Dolphins are a better team in the AFC than the Chiefs. It is the hope that they will finally make it to a Super Bowl again. Maybe even my son will see a Dolphins football playoff win that he has not been able to see in his lifetime, and he's a junior in college. Unfortunately, they're playing the Eagles, and the Eagles are a better team all in all. 
Just don't tell anyone in Philadelphia that I said that. Although I love the Philadelphia teams. Eagles, two and a half over the Dolphins. That's my pick for Sunday. So when you're at that game, I would encourage you to be careful. There's been something going on at NFL games and games everywhere that has made me very scared. I've never been punched in my life. I've never thrown a punch in my life, never been in a fight. I'm happy to get into a oral fight, but not a physical one. Nothing matters enough to me for me to ever hit anyone, and hopefully I would never do anything to be hit. Just because you don't like my takes in sports, I don't think you'd hit me. When I go to a game, it never occurred to me as a child or a young adult or before I got into professional sports, it never even occurred to me that I would get into a fight at a game. But I remember going to Knicks games as a kid, looking up in the blue section, looking through all the smoke, going to Yankee Stadium as a kid, seeing fights in the stands. But my view of that is they were hooligans, hoodlums. They were drunk, too much beer, too much alcohol, too much weed. It didn't occur to me they were fighting about gambling. It didn't occur to me they were fighting about women. I just figured they were fighting because they were angry, angry at the result of the game, angry at the result of their lives, whatever the case may be. Fighting has become a real problem. It's always been a problem overseas in soccer, football, but it's soccer, where there is, sometimes they have the visiting fans sit in cages, like barbed wire cages, because of the fighting that goes on between supporters of different teams on the pitch. But North American sports has tried to stay away from that. But the NFL has a major issue. There have been fights in games on a consistent basis, even to the point where there are fans dying, even to the point where teams are saying, we're going to give you a family-friendly section of the ballpark. If you want to bring your kids to our game, sit in this section. I would never do that were I to be running a football team because what I'm saying is if you're not in the one family section and you're in the 98% of the stadium, you're at risk. I don't want to give you a frame of reference. I don't mind doing it if I own a resort and saying, hey, no kids allowed at this pool, adults only. Take your kids and their buoy floaties and go to that pool. I'm good with that. But at a sporting event, sequestering away families under the theory of, hey, we've got ice cream concessions closer by, it's absolute horse hockey. They're doing it because they can't find a way to keep anyone safe. Is it because security guards are not plentiful enough? They're not hiring enough? Is it because they're not trained enough? Is it because there's too much alcohol, too much gambling, too much visceral hatred in the world? Or is it because what's being modeled to us everywhere where people are just fighting? No one uses their words anymore. They use their fists. No one has the right to have an opinion different than yours. That's the system we're in. I don't want to hear why you think what you think, unless it's exactly what I think. We're like one big echo chamber and we're concerned and wondering how it's bled down into sports, something as meaningless as fan affinity. I like the Patriots, you like the Dolphins, I'm gonna kick your ass. What? Because I like the Dolphins? I'm a Republican and I believe in 
X. I'm a Democrat. I believe in Y. All right, I'm going to kick your ass. That's where we are. As a person running a team, it is impossible to overcome that. Don't tell me that we have to stop selling beer because we're not going to, because it's not alcohol related. Don't tell me that we're going to have different sections where we're going to have secrete away visiting fans, put them in one area. Not doing that. Don't tell me that I have a responsibility to double my spending on security. I'm not doing that. I am not changing my P&L because people have become insane. That's a you problem. If you care so much about someone else thinking what you think or agreeing with what you agree with or liking the team that you like, that you're willing to engage in physical activity, the only thing I can do is put you in jail. Make sure that you get arrested. Make sure that you're put in the holding cell in my stadium and make sure that I work with local authorities to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. Maybe that'll be a deterrent. I haven't seen deterrent work. And I love the concept and punishment. But for whatever reason, we've become a society where either you agree with me or you don't, but I'm definitely right and you're wrong. What a bizarre way to exchange ideas. I used to love heckling people who are fans of the other team. I love it. Boo, cheering when your team does well. It's fun. It's exciting when you're going against somebody or when you're on the road cheering for the road team and the road team wins. You don't want to worry about getting killed. Now, this has been going on for decades. In 1994, I was lucky enough to go with my best friend, Jeff Stein. We went to game seven of the Knicks Rockets. I wore a Ewing jersey. He wore a Starks jersey. The game ended. We lost game seven. And I remember taking the jersey off to leave the summit in Houston. I remember doing that. Why? I just didn't want to get the name. I didn't want beer thrown on me. It didn't, I didn't think that I was going to get killed. I just didn't want people to know, oh, there's a Nick fan. I'm going to get a little rambunctious because they won a championship. I lost, uniform off, walk out, walk back to the hotel despondent, wondering when we'll ever get the chance again. Now I wonder, would I even take my young child or my teenage child to a road game when that is the best, most fun thing you can do? And if I do, am I even going to allow him or her to cheer for the road team? That's a big change. The NFL is going to try to figure out what to do about this because the NFL cannot allow its business to be impacted. And it hasn't been impacted yet. The NFL is a behemoth. But if it becomes so dangerous that families, kids, all stop going to games, that will lower them down the pipeline of engagement. And when you are in the sports world and the business world, you're trying to increase the people in your pipeline and have them going up from engagement to monetization. You're going to see some security changes mandated by the league. Just you wait. Well, that's our show for the week. Thank you very much. Have a safe week. Enjoy all the sports this week. Enjoy your family, your friends, whatever you're doing. Be careful out there. 
It's just business. We'll be back Monday, live, 8 a.m. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.